A number of years ago, the National Association for Down Syndrome held an awareness campaign. They had bookmarks and other media with photos of children with Down Syndrome and captions that said things like, don't be surprised if I love to read, or don't be surprised if I love to have fun. The campaign playfully highlighted the ways that we tend to have lower expectations for people with Down syndrome and others with disabilities, and it invited people to notice the many things that people with Down syndrome can do and to focus on what we have in common rather than on our differences. I'm familiar with this campaign because our younger son, Elijah, has Down syndrome and autism. So I'm preaching tonight as the parent of a teenager who has disabilities. And tonight, I want to look at disability through the lens of the parable of the great feast that Jesus tells in Luke 14. In this parable, Jesus gives his own don't be surprised if story. So we just heard the parable read, and the basic premise is that a host has the unfortunate experience of having all of his guests that he's invited to his banquet decline at the last minute. And so he sends out invitations to the poor and the disabled so that his banquet will be full. It's surprising first because all of the guests originally invited, the people you would naturally assume would be at this sort of event, decline at the last minute. It would have been considered very rude in that culture. And it's surprising because the poor and disabled People who are sometimes considered unimportant, powerless, and the least likely to be invited to a banquet end up being the primary guests included. I think many of us have heard this parable, and if you've heard sermons on it before, you're likely familiar with the theme of God's generosity expanding beyond the people you expect will be in the kingdom of heaven to include those generally considered to be outcasts or misfits. In my experience, at least, most of the sermons I've heard on this parable don't really talk specifically about people with disabilities. Well, as the parent of someone who has a disability, it kind of stands out to me that Jesus specifically talks about the poor and the disabled here, and I can't gloss over that fact. And also due to my experience with disability, this text raises a question. For me. It doesn't sit well with me that people with disabilities are only invited after the other guests decline. That doesn't sound like good news to me. So here's my question, a question I'm bringing to the text tonight. Is Jesus' intention in this parable to say that the poor and the disabled are only invited when the original guests decline? Spoiler alert! I don't think that's what he's saying at all. <laughs> so let's begin by setting up the context. Where was Jesus when he told this parable and what had happened right before it? Well, Jesus was attending a Sabbath dinner hosted by one of the leaders of the Pharisees. And on the way to dinner, in the verses right before what was read for us tonight, Jesus had noticed and healed a man with a disability. Despite the flack he knew he would get from religious leaders for healing on the Sabbath, Jesus modeled that caring for people with disabilities is something that is valued in his kingdom. 
Once he's at the dinner, Jesus notices that all of the guests are clamoring for the best seats, the seats of honor that would show their status in the community. And seeing this, Jesus gives them a lesson in humility, telling them that rather than seeking the best seats in the house, it would be better for them to have taken the lowest seat. And this is something Jesus modeled himself, right? Philippians 2, 6 through 7 tells us, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Right after this, Jesus turns to the host and says, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Let's pause here for a moment. Can you feel the tension in the room right now at this dinner? First, Jesus calls out the guests for taking the best seats. And then he turns to the host in front of all the guests and basically says that the guest list for this dinner could have been improved on. So one of the guests, maybe hoping to break the tension a little bit, exclaims, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine it? Can you see this guest maybe raising their wine glass with a hesitant smile and a nervous chuckle? I mean, who can take issue with what he said, right? It will be a blessing to attend a banquet in the kingdom of heaven. Surely everyone, including Jesus, can agree and the meal can continue. But Jesus, hearing this, sees that the guests are clearly not understanding what he's trying to teach them. Despite demonstrating the value of caring for people with disabilities by healing a man on the way to dinner, despite teaching the guests about the value of humility, and despite specifically telling the host that it's better to invite the poor and the disabled to their events, they're not getting it. They're not understanding that God's kingdom operates differently than the world, differently than we sometimes assume. They're not getting that God's guest list isn't the same as the world's guest list. In God's kingdom, people aren't valued for the same reasons that the world values people. In God's kingdom, people aren't valued based on their social status, their wealth, their physical appearance, or all the many ways that the world tends to evaluate and value us. Throughout scripture, there's this theme of the humble being honored and blessed or lifted up. Psalm 147.6 says, the Lord supports the humble, but he brings the wicked down into the dust. And we read in 1 Corinthians tonight how Paul says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless 
to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I could read passage after passage on this theme. God's ways are not our ways. God lifts up and honors the humble. People the world dismisses and overlooks as unimportant are seen and blessed by God. And yet, going back to the dinner, the guest's response assumes that the people who will be at the, at the kingdom of heaven, the feast there, are the same people who are at the Sabbath dinner. People like the guests there, likely wealthy and of a certain social status to have been invited. It's like they haven't heard a single thing Jesus has said. So, Jesus responds with a parable of the great feast to illustrate what he's trying to teach them. A parable that uses the guests' assumptions about who is in and who is out to demonstrate the surprising nature of God's kingdom. Here's a retelling of the parable with a little bit of a modern twist. A host decides to throw a banquet. He sends out invitations on Evite and he makes all the preparations. He rents a venue, hires a caterer and musicians, and orders some beautiful decorations. But on the morning of the banquet, the host opens his email and discovers that all of the guests have changed their responses from yes to no. We just bought a house and the final inspection is today. Sorry, we can't come. Or the company I own just bought five new delivery vans and I want to test them out. Sorry, I can't make it. Or I just got married and want to spend some quality time with my spouse. I won't be there. The host is understandably disappointed and furious. So he calls his personal assistant and says, hey, we have a problem. All the guests have declined at the last minute. I need you to go out quickly into town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So his servant goes out. He invites the homeless and people he finds looking for handouts on the streets. He stops by some group homes for people with developmental disabilities and invites them. He goes to some nursing homes in town and invites the people there. Then he calls his boss from the banquet hall and he says, okay, I did what you said and they all came, but there's more room. So his boss says, well, go back out, go out into the rural areas, find anyone you can and urge them to come. Rustle the bushes if you need to. I want my banquet to be full and none of those I first invited are going to get even the smallest taste. The people the guests at the Sabbath dinner thought were in decline of their own accord, really. And the very people they assumed were not even worthy of getting an invitation are in. So it's not uncommon for this parable to be interpreted to focus on this inversion of expectations, that the people first invited 
often interpreted as the Jews, decline, and that the invitation is then opened up to include outcasts and Gentiles. That the guests who end up attending the banquet are those the world considers unimportant. But I think there's more here than just that. So let's go back to the question I'm bringing to the text tonight. Is Jesus' intention in this parable to say that the poor and disabled are only invited when the original guests decline? I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say at all. And here's why. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus uses the phrase, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, when the host tells a servant to go out and invite more people. It's almost exactly the same phrase he used earlier in the passage when he told the dinner host, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Jesus was intentional about mentioning the poor and people with disabilities. He wasn't just using them as a general example of people you wouldn't expect to be invited. And interpretations of this parable that don't address people with disabilities, I think, run the risk of overlooking the very people Jesus himself was intentional about including. Not only that, Jesus had already clearly instructed the host that it's better to invite the poor and people with disabilities. It's only when it's clear that the guests are not understanding that Jesus uses this parable to help illustrate his point. And then as I reflected on the passage, I realized that Jesus had already modeled this before he taught the parable. Just like he had already humbled himself and the way he instructed the guests it would be good to humble themselves, Jesus himself had also already included people with disabilities as one of the first groups he invited to the kingdom of God. Let's think about this. When Jesus started his public ministry, he traveled around doing two main things, healing and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Because of his healing ministry, people who were sick and had disabilities flocked to see Jesus. And they were among the first people to hear his invitation to the kingdom of God. They were among the first people to hear him preach the good news. They don't only get an invitation if the expected guests don't show up. People with disabilities were among the first people to hear Jesus's invitation to the kingdom. Don't be surprised, Jesus teaches, that people with disabilities are included in the invitation to the banquet. Don't be surprised that people with disabilities have a place at the table in the kingdom of God. So Jesus clearly teaches and models for us to include people with disabilities. What does that mean for us here today? First, if you yourself have a disability, and especially if you have ever felt overlooked or excluded because of that disability or because of people's responses to that disability, I want you to hear that you have a place at the table in the kingdom of God. 
You are created in the image of God. And if you are a Christian, you are a full member of the body of Christ. And we're so glad that you are part of our community. We serve a God who sees those the world sometimes overlooks, who values those the world often deems unimportant, and who loves all of us extravagantly. Now, for all of us, abled and disabled alike, Jesus clearly calls us to include people with disabilities. He's told us that we can expect to see people with disabilities at the kingdom banquet. And if we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we understand that the kingdom of heaven will include the poor and people with disabilities, then our Eucharist celebrations in particular and our church community in general are incomplete unless they include the poor and the disabled. Well, friends, our congregation already includes a number of people with disabilities. So we're making good progress, I think, at following Jesus' teaching. I want to encourage and bless that. And I also want to think about how we can continue and grow in this area. According to Key Ministries, more than 90% of church-going special needs parents cited the most helpful support to be a welcoming attitude towards people with disabilities. Here are some of the ways I want to affirm that I see Church of the Savior extending that welcoming attitude. The week after we learned that Elijah would be born with Down syndrome, we visited Church of the Savior, and we noticed a young woman with Down syndrome and her family in the congregation that night. She rocked a bit and she made some noises throughout the service, but no one stared, no one asked them to step out. In fact, when I talked with her mom later, she mentioned that someone in the church had reassured them not to worry about these things, that we were just so glad that they were with us. And we thought to ourselves that this might be a safe place for our family too. The simple fact that there are already people with disabilities in our congregation can help other families who visit feel like this might be a safe place for them too. When Elijah was older, he was asked to read scripture for one of our Easter vigils. Our pastor of family ministries, Mary, knew Elijah well enough to know both that he loves to read and also that it was highly unlikely he was gonna get up in front of you all and read in the normal way. <laughs> and so she got creative and she sent someone out to our house to record Elijah reading scripture. And that recording was then played during the Easter vigil. She found a way to include Elijah that recognized his strengths and accommodated for his challenges. Seeing people with disabilities serve in the church both demonstrates that we welcome people with disabilities and it can also encourage other people with disabilities that they are gifted and to look for ways they can serve in the church as well. When our family has struggled with difficult behaviors or been unable to participate in services, you've been gracious and accepting. 
We haven't felt judged. You've never asked us to leave. And I have to say that that's not the experience of every family. There are families who have been asked to leave churches because the needs associated with their disability were considered too much for that congregation. Accepting people without judgment, even when they struggle, is one way of extending welcome. Some of you have volunteered to be a buddy for Elijah to help keep him safe during different events. And our church staff have made various accommodations that help our family participate in church events. Providing practical supports to help people with disabilities participate in church events is another way of being welcoming. And it's not just our family. I see the ways we are careful to have food at events that are safe for people with food allergies. I see how we encourage various people with disabilities to serve in their areas of gifting. I see how we've modified the building to provide easier access to the podium for people with mobility challenges. I see how we've invested in a better streaming experience so that those who aren't able to be here in person, especially if due to disability, have a good worship experience. Let's keep doing these things. When you notice new people with disabilities, greet them warmly, learn their names, get to know them, invite them into your homes and actively look for ways to include them. Let's offer opportunities for them to serve and to lead in their areas of giftedness while also making accommodations based on their needs. And remember, love covers over a multitude of sins. We're likely to make missteps, and we're not going to get everything right all of the time. I know I don't get everything right all the time. But if we have a welcoming attitude and we actively look for ways to include people with disabilities, that will go a long way towards smoothing over any mistakes we make along the way. Let me end with this. When Elijah was a toddler, we attended the five-year anniversary for Church of the Savior. It was a special event that included dinner and dancing. And what I remember most is that Elijah, captivated by the music and the dancing, wandered around the dance floor. He was a toddler at the time. And as he wandered, each dancing couple he passed opened up their circle, grabbed his hands, and included Elijah in their dance for a moment. And each couple's face, their facial expressions, were warm, joyful, and loving. Our church community welcomed and included Elijah in their dance at that celebration. I think this is both a beautiful picture of how God and the loving community of the Trinity opens up his circle and invites and includes each of us in that loving community. And also a beautiful picture of how churches can invite and include people with disabilities in our church family. Don't be surprised if people with disabilities love to dance. 
Let's join the work Jesus is already doing, including people with disabilities, in the kingdom of God. And let's continue opening our circles so that we can all dance together, abled and disabled alike, at the kingdom banquet. Amen.